uh, the uh, Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4. Uh, last week, Pastor Jeff uh, pointed us uh, to our great God as the one that is the being that has always existed and that He is actually knowable and He is near. But now the disciples show up as Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Uh, the Spirit helped her to understand the difference between physical water and life-giving water that Jesus uh, freely offered to her. The Spirit worked in her heart, and it overflowed even to the people of her town. Now, we will see that Jesus is not merely the Messiah. He is not merely the promised Savior of Jews. He is the Savior of the world. And in this text, Jesus models mission to end our excuses. We will see that Jesus models mission to end our excuses. Now, we will observe uh, the way that Jesus impacts three different people. First, He wows the woman. Second, He demonstrates for the disciples. And thirdly, He gains gospel grandchildren from the town. So, we'll, if you would, follow along in John chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 27 through 40. This is indeed the word of the living God. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there is yet four months, then comes harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And so, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you ever get tired of excuses? It might be a, a politician who makes humongous promises during campaign season, and then when it actually comes to serving, in the office has a list of excuses about why those promises are not kept. I mean, of course, it's somebody else's fault. 
Maybe it's an employee who shows up late or doesn't show up at all three, five, ten times. Yes, it's always an excuse with this one. You're fired. Well, or the teenage child who talks about all the things that prevented him from completing his chores. Well, yes, it is too easy for us to think about everyone else's excuses that inconvenience us and create our problems because then we are doing what? Making excuses, right? It is part of human nature. That is uh, something that actually started right back in the very beginning in the garden. God came to Adam and asked if he ate from the tree, and what did he do? He actually blamed God about this faulty helpmate that God had provided. And then God asked Eve, and she blamed the serpent. Excuse-making and blame-shifting is such a normal part of human life that we barely even realize how much we do it. Even the woman at the well tried to distract Jesus from focusing on her sin. She brought up a popular theological debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. But we all have a list of excuses and the desire to shift the focus away from our failures. And that also includes our own engagement as believers in the calling of God to evangelism, to getting the gospel to unbelievers. Now, most of us would say that we're ignorant. I, I just, I don't know what to say. Or we're fearful. I just don't, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to push them away from the Lord. But many of us are just apathetic. But Jesus helps end our excuses by modeling mission. And first we see that Jesus wowed the woman. Look at, uh, at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now, in case you were not here uh, last week, I will review the context. So Jesus and his disciples had been laboring many days, preaching and baptizing, and then they left Judea and were heading to Galilee. In verse 4 in John chapter, John chapter 4, verse 4, says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, Jesus knew his Father's will was to model mission to his disciples, and he had to go through Samaria. Now, they were all very tired. They were hungry. They were thirsty from all their labors and from their journey. The text is not clear, but most likely Jesus sent the disciples on ahead into the town to buy food, and he would meet them at the well. Now, knowing he would have time to speak to the woman. Jesus wowed the woman first with his powerful presence. Jesus was on a mission, right? He was thirsty and she had water. But he used a very normal need as a metaphor to demonstrate an eternal need that she had. But next, Jesus helped her to pivot her priorities, right? It's true that everyone needs water, but even more so, everyone needs the water of eternal life that Jesus alone can bring. Now, they stopped talking about physical water, and Jesus addressed her heart. He put his finger on her thirst 
for love that was not found in one, two, three, four, five marriages, and even the man she was with now was not her husband. And so, he impacted her heart right where she needed it most, and she left her water jar sitting there at the well, which demonstrated that she had received the greater need, the greater thirst from the love of Jesus Christ. But she may have left the water jar there simply because Jesus had asked for a drink and he and his disciples would need it. We don't really have the exact reason. But the point is, she was impacted by the divine knowledge that Jesus demonstrated. And so by doing so, he proclaimed his power. Jesus was not mean, he was not rude, but he was direct about the facts of her life. She knew what she was doing was wrong. Right now, most people have a sense that the th- many of the things they do are wrong, even if they don't have it as crystal clear as God's Word demonstrates. She was religious enough to know her need for the forgiveness of her sin, and only the Messiah, God's promised Savior, could save her from her sins. The woman was so impacted by Jesus that she left to tell the whole town that she had met that Savior. Now, Jesus models mission for us, and He shows us that we must be intentional about reaching unbelievers, right? Jesus was a rabbi, but evangelism is not restricted only to full-time clergy. The Great Commission has been given to every believer, right? We are not merely called to share the gospel, but every one of us are actually called to multiply disciple makers, right? Every one of us are called to teach disciples to obey all things that Jesus commanded, including making disciples. And so, there's the multiplication effect of the Great Commission. Now, the woman at the well went from conversation to evangelism. So, we're not talking about advanced Christianity here. This is not 401 Christianity that only the, you know, well-trained and seminary-trained and doctorate Christians are the only ones that can share the gospel. She went from conversion to evangelism. Sometimes new believers are the best evangelists. They get to share it with their friends and family right away, right? And so, it was her testimony that she was able to share. Every believer has a testimony. It doesn't have to be some big dramatic thing like, you know, you just, you know, did all these horrible things and then God grabbed a hold of you. You're like, I mean, just the fact that you grew up in a Christian home perhaps and the fact that, that Jesus grabbed a hold of your heart and you realize He didn't just die for sinners, He died for this sinner. Your testimony is the same uh, as the woman where you were able to then share not just identical background, but the fact that you met the Savior, that's the point. Whatever the details are, you have met the Savior, and that's where we have to bring it to other people. Now, all of us can talk about how Jesus impacted our lives. During the evening service, we're going through our series on the assurance of salvation. And so, if you know that you're saved, and you know why you're saved, then you have the basic gospel information that you need, and therefore, you have what others need as well for them to know that they can be saved by Jesus. And so, Jesus overcomes our excuse of ignorance. 
Jesus models mission to help us end our excuses by actually reaching the lost. Jesus was intentional. He sought out the woman. He took initiative to address her spiritual life. I mean, it is very rare, at least in my experience, that spiritual things come up in a conversation. They're just, it's so rare, right? You have to bring them up intentionally, and it's never natural and never feels normal. It's always awkward because it's a supernatural work. But we may not even have any relationship with unbelievers to bring it up to them about, and that's where we have to take initiative again. Imitate Jesus, first of all, by having purposeful presence. Think through the priorities of your own life. You have opportunity to interact with a variety of people in your neighborhood, at work, perhaps at the gym or at the park, the grocery store, etc., etc. If we realize that a walk in the neighborhood for exercise or shopping for food is actually your secondary purpose for the primary purpose of meeting your neighbors and sharing with them what Jesus has done in your life. And so we, along with the woman, can pivot our priorities. All the other responsibilities that we have in life merely provide the context for mission. If we are creative, we can bring spiritual things into conversations with people about the normal things where we live, work, and play. Jesus did it about needing water. You have all sorts of activities that you could use as a metaphor and bridge into the gospel. Let's just take exercise or personal health, right? You might say to somebody, you know, I am amazed at how often I make excuses for not exercising, but I find myself doing the very same thing in my spiritual life. I need to exercise my soul by spending time in God's Word by regularly reading the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible? Simple bridge. Or maybe it would be more natural for you to discuss caring for children, right? It amazes me how much my infant needs me. He is helpless unless I give him everything he needs, and I realize that I am the very same as a child of God. I need God even more. Have you ever understood your need for a relationship with God? Now pray about creative ways that would be natural for you, perhaps, or supernatural, for you to share the gospel with other people using very normal conversations, bridging them into spiritual things. But above all, we need to proclaim Jesus' power. Yes, our personal testimony is helpful, but, and people can't argue with their personal testimony, right? But what we do have to do is point people to the Word of God, and that is exactly what happened in our text. That is where the power is. Now, Jesus' disciples needed a little bit more help than that, and so do we, and so we, we see that we need to have it demonstrated for us over and over again, and that's what Jesus does. So first of all, Jesus wows the woman, and second, demonstrates for the disciples. Look back up at verse 27. Just then, His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Jesus models mission for the disciples first by ending 
enmity. Okay, the word enmity comes to us after Satan tempted Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden tree, and God promised that there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so this whole idea of enmity, this division idea has existed in humanity from the very beginning. Enmity is where we get the word enemy, right? There's a a divide between people. And since the fall, people have used all different opportunities to divide themselves from other people and act superior to them. It happens all the time. Just show up in middle school and you'll see how natural that happens, right? Now, the first enmity, right, that Jesus ends is sexism, right? Some people claim that the Bible degrades women, and yet Jesus goes against the cultural norms. The rabbinical rule at that time was, let no one talk to a woman in the street, no, not with his own wife. Now, it kind of sounds silly to us, but that cultural norm Jesus was going against, and he wowed the woman, just like, why is he talking to me? And he wowed the disciples as well. They marveled that Jesus was talking to a woman, but she wasn't any woman. She was a Samaritan woman. Like, you don't talk to them ever. So Jesus ended, secondly, the enmity of racism. The Samaritans had a syncretistic religion. In other words, they combined paganism and Judaism, which is why the Jews despised them. But we face temptations towards syncretism every day. Now, we've already prayed for the persecuted church this morning, but you may not realize the persecuted church prays for Americans to not be caught up in materialism, right? Have we syncretized our belief in God's blessings with the health and wealth gospel, and we don't even realize it? We may be more comfortable in a conversation with an upper-middle-class unbeliever than we are with a poor believer. Socioeconomic divisions are some of the most difficult to overcome. But Jesus also sought an end to classism, right? This poor woman was even rejected by her own people. She came with the heat of the day to draw water because she lived among a a people that even rejected her. Whether we have committed grievous sins, maybe done jail time, or we simply are poorer or richer than others, we experience enmity with other people. Now, Jesus wowed the woman and the disciples by overcoming their fears and overcoming our fears of being rejected. And so, Jesus came back. Secondly, so first sub-point was ending enmity. The second one is emphasizing the essentials, and this is where He targets the disciples' heart in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The disciples were tired and hungry, and they knew that Jesus was as well. They didn't know why he was speaking to the woman, but if he wanted food if he was that hungry or that thirsty, like, go to them, you know, tell us, Jesus, we're here to provide for your needs, you know, that's why we're here, let us feed you. It's amazing how many times food becomes an issue in Jesus' ministry. You remember other times when 
Jesus was teaching so long that the people had not eaten in three days. So no complaints about long sermons, right? The, the disciples right, told Jesus, these people, they need to go into the village and they need to go get some food or, you know, they're going to be in trouble. And Jesus says, well, you need to feed them. And naturally, (laughs) that's impossible. Why would you ask us to feed them? And so Jesus used a young boy's lunch to multiply food for over 5,000 men. Who knows how many women and children were present. And so, as tired and hungry as Jesus may have been physically at that point, he again used a very normal example to teach a spiritual lesson. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He was speaking to the woman not merely because he was thirsty, but because he had to go through Samaria. He had to reach sinners with the good news. That was his need. He needed to fulfill his Father's will. And so in this, Jesus again demonstrated for his disciples by encouraging evangelism. First, he ended enmity. Second, he emphasized the essentials. And third, he encouraged evangelism. Look at verse 35. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Again, Jesus used the simple timing of the harvest to connect with the spiritual harvest. You don't need to wait four months. The fields of lost souls are white for harvest right now. He then talks about the eternal rewards we receive for putting first the kingdom of God. Verse 36 says, already one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together, may rejoice together eternally. Now, we don't compete with each other or even other churches in winning souls For Jesus, we and all of heaven itself can rejoice together when one sinner repents. And so then, verse 37, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor." We need to realize that we are not the first people to try to engage in evangelism and struggle, right? This has been going on for 2,000 years, and they've struggled as well. God is working a story in every sinner's life. We have opportunity to become part of that person's story. Perhaps you will be the one to sow seeds. Maybe you'll be the one to water seeds that have already been sowed, or perhaps enjoy the wonderful harvest of new faith in Jesus Christ. But don't think that it's all up to you, that you have to answer every single question in one conversation, and that it's completely up to you to be Bible answer man, right? It is not completely up to you. The Spirit has been working in people's hearts for many, many years. And so that should build 
our confidence, realizing it's not completely up to me. I may be God's vessel. I may have a part to play, but it's not completely up to me. Now, you might be talking to a coworker and you realize, whew, yeah, this person's pretty green. You know, they're, they're pretty far from the kingdom in all the things that they've said and all those things, at least from my understanding. So, you know, I'm going to do my best to, to plant some seeds, to water some seeds, but, you know, they're just not quite there yet. And perhaps you talk to another person, and just because you brought it up, the fruit falls right into your hand. I have been waiting to talk to somebody about this. I don't know anybody that knows how to deal with shame and the forgiveness of the bad things I've ever done. You might find that fruit. The point is, is you do not control the results. You are merely called to faithfulness. The Lord will handle success. He will handle the results. All we have to do is be faithful to start asking spiritual questions, to bring things up in conversations as well as we can, and to encourage and to love those people, and we leave the results to the Lord. Now, by modeling mission, Jesus overcomes our excuses related to apathy. Jesus helped the disciples see there is more to life than eating and drinking. There's more to life than work and hobbies or whatever we prioritize in our lives. Knowing God's love as a religious concept is one thing, but when we experience freedom like that woman experienced, when you recognize how wicked we are by nature and how that sin has been paid for by Jesus and you have been set free from the consequence of sin, that overflowing love of God at work in your heart should overflow onto the people in your lives if it is truly genuine. But we must start by ending the excuses that we have in our own hearts. Can you say along with the psalmist, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Do you prioritize consuming God's Word even before you consume breakfast? Is it the highest priority for your soul that you recognize, I need this more than anything, and it is the greatest delight in my life? If we don't live out the value of God's Word and the value of the gospel in our own hearts, it's really, really hard to emphasize to other people how valuable it is if it's not demonstrated in our own lives. And so for Jesus to end our excuses, we need Him to give us a vision that's bigger than ourselves. We see last that Jesus gained gospel grandchildren. Right? First of all, he wowed the woman. Second, he demonstrated to the disciples. And lastly, he gained gospel grandchildren. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Now, Jesus modeled mission by reaching one sinful woman that had nothing to lose and through her influenced an entire town. Through her, he gained gospel grandchildren. He did that, first of all, by her testimony, right? As I said earlier, all believers have 
a personal testimony. It's a great place to start, right? Nobody can argue with your personal testimony. They may not believe you, but they can't argue. They have no way to say, you didn't experience that, right? So they're just like, that's nice. But whatever, you get to share with them, this is something that God did in my life, and it's, it's uh, amazing how He is at work in answering prayer. But your testimony is merely a way to gain people's interest, right? That God can reach sinners. This is how He reached me. He can also reach you. And so we see in verse 41, and many more believed because of His Word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world." Well, doesn't that make our job easier? We don't have to fear. We don't need to figure out everybody's problems, right? What can we do, right? We can just point them to the one who has all the answers. We don't have to have them. We just point them to the Word of God. Very simply, you can invite somebody to church, right? They can hear the Word of God preached. Now, we attempt to share the gospel in the messages that we preach. Sometimes we do it better than others, but the point is, hopefully, they will hear the gospel in the music, in the prayer, in the reading, in our preaching on a weekly basis. Now, you can invite them also into your life. Sometimes unbelievers don't know any believers, right? They have biases towards Christians, and you have the opportunity, well, to tell them, you're right. Some of us have done that, and some of us are that way, but you can also show them what Jesus has done in your life, and you can overcome some of those negative views by loving them where they are, inviting them into your life, helping them understand we're not perfect. We don't claim to be perfect. We need Jesus. That's the whole point. We're trying to share with you that we need a Savior. We have simply met that Savior, and He is the only one who lived the perfect life that we failed to live. He's the one that died to pay the penalty for our sins upon that cross. And then he also rose again from the dead so that by faith in Jesus, we can have forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life. And we just want to share that with other people. And it's only when we end our excuses of ignorance, apathy, and fear that we will effectively testify that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we acknowledge that we fear many things, and yet so many of our brothers and sisters throughout history actually received far worse reactions than just being marginalized at work, than just being mocked because we believe things that don't sound right, don't sound scientific, don't sound modern. But we know that you have called us to follow you into rejection, into dying to self, And that it is only by your Spirit's power that we can take the gospel that has changed our hearts and overflow with the love that you have for us 
as we, by your grace, simply share it with others in our lives. Forgive us our sin of our silence and help us to be a lighthouse for your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.